this whole new set's throwing me. So <laughs> I feel a little bit taller now, so that's that's better. I raised the chair up a little You're bit. You're at so. the teenage table now. I really felt like I, you could tell when I was watching the playback. I was just like, I look small. You, know, I didn't think that you looked. I mean, you probably felt like you were. I did. It was like Muggsy Bogue standing <laughs> next to Alonzo Mourning. I just didn't belong in the shop, but it's a basketball reference for me. I am aware. Okay. I know a few things. I know Muggsy Bogues. <laughs> <laughs> didn't think Muggsy Bogues is going to get a shout out in our podcast, but here we are. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Steve. And this is a podcast for creatives. Two friends talking about the complex, messy, and beautiful experience that is being a creative. I've got a few updates. Okay. In our last episode, episode 63, Beyond the Feed, I mentioned that I wanted to cut the number of people that I follow on Instagram. I was somewhere over a thousand, which was ridiculous. And since we last recorded, I now have it down to around 700 people, which I'm, wow. I'm really happy about. It feels good, but... I thought it was funny because I've kind of been doing my unfollows in batches. Like I'll try to go to the the list of people that I follow and sort it in like backwards chronological order. Because I imagine that some of the people that I followed when I first got Instagram, you know, right. just in different places it's like in pages life now. On Facebook, you don't really have an interest in some of the things you followed, you know, ten years ago. Exactly. But one night I went through a bunch. I think I probably deleted maybe like 150 in, in one sitting, and that felt really good. And I swear to you, minutes after I was done with that <laughs> purge, I got a text message from Facebook. But text message a, from Facebook? A text Facebook has message. Your, they, te they text you? Well, they hadn't before. The, and the only reason I know that this wasn't like a spam-type message is the previous text like in the from the phone number were my verification codes for Instagram. Oh, okay. And yeah, the text said, it, it was basically like one of those type, you of, <laughs> <laughs> like one of those alerts that you would get that said like, you know, here's what you're missing on Facebook right now. Like so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so posted in this group, like come check it out. And I thought that was really weird because I had never gotten a text message before. And you know, but I'll tell the audience that I don't get notifications for any social media platform outside of Twitter DMs just because I get so few of them. But I don't get alerts for Instagram DMs, Facebook Messenger, or any type of alert. I don't see them until unless I go looking for them. And this has been the case before the, the purge. Yeah. So <laughs> I started laughing because... We had just watched The Social Dilemma, which is a documentary on Netflix. I think it came out last year. And there is this weird kind of dramatization in the middle of this documentary, which is the, the one thing I really didn't like about it. And it's uh, the actor, Vincent Carthizer, who's Pete Campbell from Mad Men, for my fellow Mad Men fans. If you could imagine your phone has these like three guys working inside of it that's like monitoring your every move and trying everything that they can do to get you to stay on their network. So in this dramatization in the doc within the documentary, there's a part where this 
young man is trying to not use his phone because his his whole family has decided they're not going to. And the Pete, I'm just going to call him Pete Campbell. The Pete Campbell guy <laughs> is getting very nervous that there's been no activity on this on this young man's phone. So he's like conferring with the other versions of himself and saying, okay, we got it. We got to send him something good. We got to get him back. So the kid goes down to like get some water in the middle of the night and sees his phone light up on the counter. And it says like your ex-girlfriend is in a new relationship. And it's an alert that prompts him to open his phone and and go back down in the rabbit hole so as soon as i got that text i was like wow a pete campbell is is texting me because yeah i just unfollowed 150 yeah. people in like five minutes now i i've gotten not text messages but i've gotten uh push notifications from the major social networks uh since i've been on my hiatus and i can definitely see that point in this like you know the the level of specificity to the person that they want you to see their latest photo that they've posted for the first time in a while or whatever it's desperate but it's also kind of like it, it really tests your will like how much can you resist this notification how much can you resist this bait so far so good for me but for networks that i think are trying to do something towards mental health whether it's the way they reorganize their feed or whether the way they prioritize certain you know types of content if you step away from them i mean it's kind of like when you like walk away from the gym and they're like they'll do anything that they can to like keep you on there that's a lot yeah i thought that it was it was alarming whether it was coincidence or not i was i don't really so. aggravated by the fact that facebook slash instagram knows that i have I have no notifications on. They are not supposed to be contacting me, but they took it upon themselves to... Technically, it's not to... a notification. Technically, it's a text, so... Well, and then in the text, I got the, you don't want to receive texts anymore, reply with stop, which I did. Right. And again, I and really... I th and then I haven't gotten any since, but it was okay. so, it was so weird. So really curious to hear, I didn't... Google this or anything, but curious to hear if any of our listeners have had this experience of getting text alerts. I was just like, whoa, enough. Either they listen to our episode, which I don't even know if it was out yet when, when that happens, or yeah, they don't like me unfollowing so many people. Wouldn't it be a really cool uh, movie idea if that played out, but then like the, it would be like a really good romp. Get Adam on the phone. This would be a really good rom-com <laughs> to like have somebody from Facebook text you, you know, trying to get you to suck back in. And then like, instead of responding, stop, you respond back, like, who is this? And then he says his name. And then all of a sudden you guys click, you know, you meet up, you know, I love guys, this idea, right? Like it would be like the 2021 you've got mail kind of a concept. Uh, maybe we need to write this. I think this is right. If anybody's listening to this dibs, we called it first. Yeah. No one's, we're, no we're one's, I, no, I truly love this idea. Yeah. And nice segue because my second update is about my my book. And and just based... checking, we're done with the writing the screenplay of of uh, <laughs> you've got mail part two working title. No, no, I mean oh. because my update is actually not really a great update. Maybe I I will want to accelerate the writing of this project. Oh. So 
I have I have something else to well, focus on. Bad. No, no, no. Don't feel bad. It's bad news that will become good. Just to bring everyone up to speed, I finished writing my manuscript at the end of last year. Started querying to literary agents, which is step one to getting traditionally published. So I sent out a bunch of them at the beginning of this year. Those timelines have all expired, and I'm assuming that they were no's, and just started my second wave of them over the last couple of weeks. And I've been reading a million things, listening to a million podcasts around book publishing, because I don't really know much about the industry, and I'm learning a ton. But it came to my attention in, in one thing that I read that led to me reading a million things that said the same thing, that the amount of words that are typically in a book of my genre, which is not quite sure what it is, but it's it's fiction, is around anywhere from like 70 to 90,000 words. And my book is... I've been pitching it as 130,000. It's actually more than that. It was like 132,000 words. And I, after I read one thing that said this, read a bunch of things that said, if you're pitching a book that's like not in the right word count, it's like pretty much an automatic no. Like I, I don't even know if any of the people who I pitched to read beyond the sentence that said, my 130,000 word book is about blah, blah, blah. I wasn't upset that I had to go back and rework my book. Honestly, I've been <laughs> truly enjoying the process. I love cutting. I feel like it's like designing, but with large amounts of text, I'm, I'm cleaning things up. I'm only annoyed that I feel like I've been like, that I lost months of time and that I could have done this, you know, months ago. What, what's funny is, is that working in an industry that's, that's sort of, you know, what we do is kind of service-based, you know, we're, we're for, you know, for all intents and purposes, a PR agency, a lot of times it's a lot of time and effort put into helping a client or helping the person running the client only to have that client, you know, decide that at the end of it, they're going to, no, we're going to, we're going to go with somebody else. We're going to go in-house. We're going to, we're going to go with another company. And, you know, you're left with this, like, I've just put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into this, this specific client. And, and at the end of the day, it's kind of like, all right, you know, like they're walking away and you're left with all this, you know, kind of like effort that you put out. But I think what, you know, you're getting at is there's, there's something to be learned, I think from this and, you know, what does it apply to, you know, not in your case now, cause you, you, it's not like, you know, people have said, no, like you're, you're you have an opportunity to, to, to tighten things up. You have mm -hmm. an opportunity to, to kind of take this and spin it and keep going. I think when you don't have something like that, you know, like let's just say it was a high and dry situation where you're sort of just left there and now what? I mean, there's always lessons to to be learned. And in some cases it's like, you know, it's warning signs depending upon the situation that you're in. But I think it's, it's um, you know, we're human. So it's really hard to get over kind of that that immediate frustration of just like, well, if you just said this to begin with, or if you told me this is what you were looking for, we could have tailored this specifically for that. Or, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, you, you, you know, they move the, uh, 
what's that what's the saying like they move the cheese mm-hmm. like at the end of it where you're just like well, what, why did you move it to begin with like <laughs> yeah that's frustrating but yeah. I'm, I'm sorry that that's the case but i'm excited that like it energizes you no matter when you pick it up and i think that's just a testament to how quality this is going to be yeah oh thank you for saying that i mean that definitely makes me feel better and i i'm not i'm really not mad I mean there's no one to be mad at I mean it's just when you're doing something new there's a lot of things to learn and this is just one thing that that I missed in that and you know I take responsibility for it this is you know my thing and I'm gonna I'm gonna fix it and truly I mean I said to you a few weeks ago that I was feeling really frustrated that I have to be patient and I can't take action and do do anything. Well, now I kind of feel like, oh, like this is nice again. Like I'm making progress, but I'm actually, <laughs> I'm doing something to, to progress it. And now I'm going to feel even stronger about this piece when I'm ready to put it back out there again. I don't know. I feel like maybe all of this is, is coming together. I feel like I'm like, I'm purging everything in my life, cutting my social media lists. And this This is just, it just just fits right in with it. Yeah. It feels good. Do you feel like someone like Tolstoy, like, do you think, do you think Tolstoy, when he was told he's got to have it under a certain amount, like, do you think he's just started like purging friends and, you know, things like that to like make himself feel free too? I hope so. Cause then I'd be in really good company. Yeah. Now I've done a little research. Uh, Is that where you, I thought you were just not paying attention to me, which I, I, if you noticed, I continue to roll because I'm used to that, but you did, you were very good. Um, and, and, and no, of course I was paying attention to you. I I look forward to that, that, uh, cinnamon babka recipe you're going to prepare. Um, that's what we were talking about, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so can you guess how many words war and peace was? And I will, I will, oh. I will allow for, I will allow for somewhat of a respectable range, uh, within, I will give you within 50,000 words. Okay. So. Have you ever read War and Peace? I haven't. I haven't okay. read it. I haven't seen it. I, <laughs> I never say grace. See it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm, I mean, I know it's a big book. <laughs> It would hold Prob- down quite a few papers, yes. Probably exceeds the, um, you know, the the fiction range. But you're saying it it, it was once more than it, it currently is. It says that uh, here, uh, according to WordCounter.net, always reliable. I've, I've dot, used, dot nets are oh, always reliable. Oh, I've I'm used sorry. That. Are they reliable? <laughs> sorry, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they're reliable or not, but I've been using it because. <laughs> In in those first moments, I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, I'm pulling books off my shelf and saying like, this is a big book. This is fiction. This has to be more words than I have. And none of them were. So it just says that Tolstoy completed his first draft in 1863, but he later spent three years rewriting uh, most of it. Um, So I'll give you a 50,000 word range. Throw out a number. What sounds right for War and Peace? How about... 500,000 words. Okay. Based on my 50,000 uh, limit, you're wrong, but you're, you're in the ballpark. <laughs> it looks like you uh, were going to say I was right. I know. I sold <laughs> that, right? Um, it's actually 587,287 words. Okay. Well, Useless knowledge. That'll get you nowhere. But, I mean, 
does, doesn't it got published it got, like it got published people right? like so it 130,000 ain't that bad it's really but, not right but I don't think I can write in my query letter <laughs> yeah. war and you peace Tolstoy? <laughs> <laughs> this has been called the war and peace of the fiction genre <laughs> Why don't you be There's my your, agent? <laughs> I know. I could sell anything. So we started something new. I'm usually going to you with ideas. So I think I was so excited that I barely listened to what you said. And I was like, you know what? Sure. Let's do it. Could have said anything <laughs> right there at that point in time, couldn't I? Michelle and I grew up in the 90s. And we've noticed, I think, over the years that a lot of the uh, references that we end up dropping in our podcast end up coming from that period in our childhood we were a tv generation so we remember a lot of these offbeat commercials and a lot of these things that um, were a part of our childhood and i thought it would be fun to kind of like look back at them we don't really watch commercials anymore in, in this day and age you know ads are usually something that we're doing anything that we could possibly do to skip over funny commercials or, or commercials with memorable jingles have stayed with us over the years uh, and this platform this this commercial breakdown show gave us the opportunity to bring some of them back and you know relive a few of these moments with with all of you and you know reflect fondly on them so if you get a chance go into one of our pod for creative social profiles or go to our website and look for commercial breakdown which is the name of our show i time this it takes literally four seconds of your time subscribe to our youtube channel and hit that thumbs up button if you have a friend or a sibling or someone um, that you remember talking to about the commercials that that we're showcasing certainly anywhere where you can share it we would really appreciate it so i went for a walk uh the other day and we're recording this it's in the month of march just as a point of reference for everybody and i happened upon outside of a house in the development that i live in i happened upon something that really took me by surprise uh, so much so that I, I, Michelle, I texted you a photo of this this object because I was not expecting that. I happened upon uh, a discarded Christmas tree in the middle of March. And now you might say like, okay, wait a minute, Steve. Did somebody cut this tree down on their property and they're just looking for an easy way to get rid of it? That's a fair question. But I feel like the dead giveaway here is is that about three quarters of the tree from the bottom up was dead and it definitely and 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 no ball on the bottom of the tree no i mean like a clear cut that you would get if you went to a lot in december for a tree so somebody in my development got rid of their christmas tree two and a half months after uh christmas ended which threw me and i just <laughs> remarked to you like are you kidding me? <laughs> and i thought your response was what was rather interesting, it, it kind of foretold a conversation that now is going to end up being the point of this episode today. But your comment back to me was, is that you still can't understand why anybody buys Christmas trees, like real Christmas trees, that we just haven't reached a point where everybody just gets on board with the artificial means of, of buying a tree. And that really stems from our, our country being this like fast food drive through style anything that we can get as quick as we can get it mentality correct well you made me sound a lot more judgy than i i was because i knew i was in safe company 
texting you that because I know that both of us have fake trees. So it wasn't so much like, ah, oh, can you believe this I don't guy? Think I said it that way. I mean, I didn't come out snooty in my re- my recap. I heard snooty. Well, maybe I'm just being nervous that you're making me sound snooty, but maybe you're not listening. Maybe you were listening for what you thought it was going to sound like. I think I was more in awe that when you think about all of the steps you need to do to to get a live Christmas tree, go out. It's cold. You got to, you know, wait outside, either cut the tree down yourself or or pick sounds one out. Terrible. And and I mean, it sounds terrible to me. I know that there are people who make experiences out of it. Like Jimmy's cousins have this like really sweet tradition that they do every year. They go like the day after Thanksgiving. And whenever I see their pictures, I think like, oh, that looks fun. But like, I still, if they ever invited me, like, I don't know that I would go. <laughs> but... Would you partake in the cutting down or would you have oh, God, like hot no. chocolate? <laughs> yeah, I think I meant more like I want to be in the picture and I'll have some hot chocolate, but like I don't want to have to stay outside for more than five minutes. <laughs> you but, would be in the background. Yeah. Yeah. So you get the tree, you bring it home, you have to clean up after it for like three weeks and water it. And and then when it's, then it's over and then you have to get rid of it. And obviously like this guy or person kept Stephanie it around for a while definitely procrastinated it because it because yeah. it is a pain yet so many people take part in this tradition every year of getting a live christmas tree and i think one of the other things i said to you was like there aren't many things like that left that people are willing to go through all of that for yeah and i think it got us talking it got me thinking about the lengths that people go through for an experience, a memory, uh, something that has an, an air of nostalgia kind of tied to it. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's a unique situation. Like, you know, we talked about this is like a very drive through like society that having these, these types of, of traditions and what you will do to uphold them and, and, and keep them, keep them going that other people, you know, might look at and say, like we were saying, like, just get a fake tree. Like they last for years. Like you don't have to go through this, but that goes through this just for those experiences. And, you know, when you think about the concept of brand and product and what people will, will do for the experience of a brand, it kind of mirrors a lot of that, that behavior that we talk about with, you know, a story nostalgia, that, that, that type of an experience. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about Starbucks coffee. I am not a Starbucks coffee fan. And I argue that there's a big part of their clientele that probably at the end of the day, doesn't like the coffee either, but there's something about holding the cup. There's something about going through the experience of going to a Starbucks having your name spelled wrong and walking away with that, that white cup with the green logo on it and, or somebody looking at you and knowing exactly where you were or who you are just based on that cup that you're holding. And we got into a little bit of a disagreement about whether or not that's true. Cause this person did like Starbucks coffee, but I, I come down on the side of, I think there's probably a big population that just likes the way it makes them feel and therefore it's the brand that they're attracted to not necessarily the product that the brand is producing i'm not 
a coffee connoisseur, so I don't feel like I'm, I don't have a strong opinion about like what's good coffee and what's bad coffee. But I do feel like if I had to say what is the thing I like most about Starbucks, it is the experience. It's, I don't think that I would go right to like, oh, they have the best coffee in the world. Whether you're going to Starbucks or you're going to a, a place that's going to, you know, you're going to pick a tree out of a lot. A lot of it isn't just, you know, show up and you see some rinky ding trees and okay, I guess I'll take this one. Like, you know, you go through the aisle, you go through the lanes, you look at things, they, they, you know, they, there might be a, um, you know, a little shop there that you can kind of peruse while your tree's getting wrapped up. And the experience that's provided to you when you go to these places, when you, when you partake in some of these things, that's the, that's the, that's the piece that you're really connected to. I think the, you know, brands that get it right, I think go beyond the product. It's not necessarily, I mean, the, the idea of bringing in this sappy, <laughs> needly, sticky. <laughs> sticky kind of thing into your home when you might have like nice carpet or hardwood floors, like you wouldn't do this under any other circumstance. But because of the experience that you that you get when you do this, whether you pile in, you know, the family car and you you go with your family and you go through this whole thing and you have hot chocolate or donuts or whatever you end up doing with this to come home with the tree. All of that, all of the experience, the the memories, the timelessness to it makes lugging in this this tree that's going to you know turn your home into this disaster until you get it up makes it worth it. Well, the most powerful part of of that is of of getting a tree or going to Starbucks or I'd love for you to give the other example that we were talking about the other day about March Madness is that there's no thought there's there's no conversation that's like are we going to do this? It's like no, this is the thing that we always do or this is the thing that we do that our family does or whatever group of people identify with the activity. There is a quote from the great, brilliant Seth Godin that I think about all the time, which is, people like us do things like this. And at the at the heart of all of our purchasing decision is that we sometimes buy things because we need things out of necessity, but more often for especially you know, those of us who are more, you know, privileged, which I think is most of the people listening to this podcast, we buy things because we want to identify with the lifestyle that is associated with the products or the service that we're buying into. Yeah, I think I think sometimes the general mistake that I hear, you know, made out there is that people talk about the product as if the product is the brand, you know, oh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a crest user or I'm I'm a I'm a Starbucks drinker. No, you drink coffee. No, you buy toothpaste. There's the product is not the brand. The 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 feeling that people have when they interact with you, the feeling in their gut and their minds, that that is very much the brand. And you know, when you're looking to to develop your product or you're looking to develop you know, this, 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 this tool ultimately that you want to have people buy into, it can't just be about, so this is what it's going to do for you, but this is how I want you to feel when you're using it. This is how we want you to, 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 to think about us when you're using this, or more importantly, how you want to think about yourself 
when you're using this. I'm not saying that every every tree farm out there is thinking like this. I think a lot of that stuff kind of just gets developed over time. And, you know, the holidays have their own sense of nostalgia to them anyway. So some of that is baked in. But, you know, in thinking about Starbucks or thinking about some of these other companies, I think that is a big part of what makes them successful is, is that you're paying more attention to what do I want people to experience and how do I want them to feel when they, you know, how do I want them to see themselves when they're interacting with me or when they're, when they're buying this product? And because all of us are, most of us are on social, it's showing other people what we're doing, what companies we're working with, et cetera. I mean, that, that now has become, given us another window to showcase the person who we are. Steve, do you feel like there's something, either a product or a service or an experience that you don't feel like you actually like, but that you've partaken in because you associate or want to be associated with it? I'll give you an example uh, while you're <laughs> while okay. you're thinking. Okay, so yes. for me, it is martinis. I feel like, you know, the martini glass is is beautiful to me. Uh, I have an association with it being, you know, classy and timeless. And, you know, you're at a fancy party hanging out with interesting people. But I don't actually like martinis. And every time I go out to a nice restaurant, <laughs> I pour over the martini menu trying to convince myself that I want one. When in reality, I just... I don't actually like the way they taste and they knock me on my butt just after <laughs> half of one. So it is funny that you referenced something alcohol related because that was one of the things that as you started to give your example, my mind went to craft beers. So there was a while where I was, you know, um, hanging out with, uh, you know, a bunch of guys just at this point in time and during my life and they were very big into craft beer and I really wasn't. And, um, I had to, you know, kind of convince myself, nope, this is, this is craft beer. I mean, this is this, you know, guys drink craft beer and this is, you know, we, we, you know, you, you, you have conversations over, oh, I could really taste the berries or I could really taste the cream. And, and like, there was just a ref, there was just a point in my life where I was just like, this stuff sucks. <laughs> like, this is horrible. Like, I don't need a coffee stout to like, you know, I like my beer to taste like beer. I don't like my beer to taste like, you know, pine, tw pine trees and twig nuts. And, you know, like, I don't, I don't really get the appeal of that, but there was a long time where drinking Miller light or drinking Bud light or drinking something that was just, this is what a, this is what beer tastes like was kind of, you know, a point of embarrassment that you wouldn't do that. Um, and I had to like, kind of peel myself away from that as I got older. But I think that's part of like the experience with the brand, right? Like, you know, we talk about like, you know, you're buying a product, but like, I also don't think that necessarily customers buy brands either. Like, I think they feel like they want to be a part of a group of people who take part in that, that brand. It's like a tribe. Like you feel like okay, there are other people who I run with, like you have the martini, you know, crowd of people in your head, or maybe it's people that you go out with, but like you, you, you find a group of people who also, you know, either see themselves like that, want to be a part of that. You want to be a part of that too. You like being in that group. So you more select to join tribes than you do 
actually buying into a brand. And I think it goes back to what you were talking about with the power of social media that like they see themselves in that position. They see other people who are like them in that position. And then they want to tell other people that, hey, we are like this. We do this. And it almost kind of draws that line in the sand of like you're over there and we're over here. And it makes you kind of puffed out a little bit. Like it makes you feel like you're running with more than 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 maybe you are. But that's the comfort, I think, of being in a tribe is you feel that connectivity. It's such a weird thing because it's such a primitive concept that we want to be part of tribes. Also a book by Seth Godin. <laughs> this episode is not sponsored by him, but we would love it's to have not, him on the no. show. Yeah, it, it's a primitive thing that we want to be part of tribes. But now we have this very modern technological can be scary, can be bad way of of doing it because there might be people who say, okay, I want to be friends with people who have Peloton bikes, but like, I can't afford a Peloton bike. So like, I, I'm never going to be that person. And then that person feels bad about themselves. But when you boil it down to, okay, do you want a Peloton bike because you want to be fit? Because there are a million free ways to do that where you don't have to be part of this elite showy circle. Yeah, I feel not the that same all way. Peloton people are showy. Just <laughs> speaking no, generally they're def- about, they're, def- <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely showy. Um, but if if this because this parallels nicely with the coffee analogy before too, like coffee. I mean, it's not coffee isn't coffee, but like you could get a cup of coffee anywhere. But this is really about: Do you want to see yourself as a Starbucks drinker, or do you want to see yourself as more of a blue collar? Dunkin' Donuts drinker? Do you want to see yourself, you know, like it's, it's a, it's who you attach yourself to as, as a tribe that I feel like that's really where you kind of make your alignment. And it's funny when you hear people who in my mind are, you know, let's use Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks as kind of the parallels who are generally, if you looked at them or if you listened to them or they present themselves as Dunkin' Donuts drinkers, how much hate they have for the other provider of coffee, the other brand, Starbucks or vice versa. Like there's genuine dislike towards that. I don't even think it's the coffee. They might say it's the coffee. I think it's, I think it's the tribe. I think it's the way of life. And that's the brilliance of kind of the branding where it's that, you know, these companies are investing, they're doubling down. We talked with Adam back, you know, a couple of seasons ago. Do we do seasons? I don't know if that's the sure. right term or not. Year sure. seasons. Um, but we talked with him about Peloton and they're very clear about this is what we do. This is who we are and they're and they're, you know, unashamed about it. And I think that's where, you know, as a as as a brand, like this is about making sure that expectations line up to experience that what you see other people doing is exactly what you get to experience when you come through the door, when you buy the Peloton, when you join this, whatever that's, that all has to kind of be consistent. It's not about just the exchange of, of money for goods. We're talking about experiences that we want people to have. Are there things that we be, can, we be, we can be considering when we're creating content or that, focuses more in on the the feeling that we want customers to have or take away when they're interacting with us. 
I think the first thing is to be aware that you're not exactly selling a product because I think that that's something in my early days that I was very fixated on and because I was new and, and really insecure I would kind of go around in circles and say okay if no one's buying this and there's probably something wrong with like the, the product itself or like you know I was selling things on Etsy so like maybe I need to change the color maybe I need to fix the design or, or change the font when it would have been a lot more fruitful to get extremely clear about who the person was to you know in marketing they call it an avatar to to determine who my my true avatar is for my product and to start creating content that serve them even though someone may be just purchasing an invitation design they're really purchasing an entire experience so I could have even been doing things like crafting um, the listing or, or my social media posts to speak directly to not just like a person who is, you know, throwing a kid's birthday party, but like, okay, is this, is this someone who has a lot of money or is this someone who's like on a budget? Because there, there are people who prefer to spend more money on experiences. And when I first started, like, I didn't even... I didn't know. I was just like, oh, well, this can be for anyone because I, you know, I was new. I would have like taken anyone, but really that hurt me, that that hurt my sales in me not having a clear answer as to like, you know, who specifically is this for? So I guess, I mean, I feel like I sound like a broken record because I talked about this in the last, or we talked about this in our last episode and we say this all the time, but it always goes back to know your audience, know your audience, know who you're talking to, and don't be afraid to have a very specific audience. Your product, your service, your the lifestyle that you're promising for your product or service is not going to be for everyone, and that's going to be the thing that's going to help you sell more of them. There's a great, um, there's a branding expert named um, Marty Newmeyer, and he talks a lot about positioning your your customers for greatness and part of that is having a clear understanding about who they are so it goes back to what you're saying knowing your audience but what they want to accomplish where they want to go and and ultimately how can you help them get there and and I think that kind of changed the way I looked at at branding as it pertains to experience when you're really thinking about understanding where your customers are what they need, what they require, how they see themselves, and, and, and ultimately, what are they trying to accomplish? Because whether you're creating an invitation for them or you're designing something, I'm using your example here, you're right. It goes beyond just the piece of paper that it's printed on for whatever it is. That's usually a part of a bigger thing. And at the end of the day, if you're able to meet all of the needs of the customer, well, their gut feeling about you how they look at you and what they think about you and more importantly how they how they tell others about you that's your brand right there is your brand it's not i create invitations or i i create this this you know widget or whatever it is it's the feeling that somebody has about you that sets you apart from everyone else if you've enjoyed this episode help us spread the word on social media tag us at pod4creatives and let us know what stood out to you 
Is there something that you do that does take up a lot of time that that would be the equivalent of the getting the live Christmas tree experience where other people might be like, who would do something like that? We're like I mentioned at the top of the episode, we're recording this in March. So I used to do and I still do, even though it's not nearly as big as it once was, because I just got tired of running it. But running March Madness pools. I'm and, a former loser of said pool. Yeah. 2004 <laughs> or five. Did you win a booby prize? Did you win anything? For I don't that, think I got have... anything. No. Okay. How did I collect your money? I probably handed you <laughs> an really? envelope of cash. I don't know. I don't, I don't recall like. I don't recall the exchange, which is interesting. Not that I'm, not that I recall everybody's, but I feel like yours would have stood out. Um, what okay. you think I would give, present you with like a giant check? Yeah, like one of those novelty checks. <laughs> I hope I don't Most, still owe you for it or something. That would be interesting. That would have been something that I would have done back then. I got it. I'll cover you. Don't worry about it. Just get in the pool. We need more people. Just gonna lose anyway. But that's something that really took a, a, a lot of time back in the day. Now, not so much because everything is all automated through a lot of the sites. But back in the day, there was like there was real math that had to be done. Like you had to like at the end of each night, you know, once the games are over with, like, you know, assign a certain number of points based on the round and tally them up. And then to tell people what they were. I remember I remember in college putting it on the whiteboard on my door of my dorm putting it up there and people would come by and see where they were. But then like, I also remember putting it in my, my aim profile. Oh, like, that's advanced. You know, like, right. Yeah. Well, that was like the first, like, you know, that was like the tech aspect of it where you could kind of just list everything there. But like, that was a lot. I used to hate the first two rounds because it was like, cause you know, it's, it's like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So you're doing tallies like every night. And then it's the following Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So like the first two rounds were like really crazy. And then like a lot of like, you know, bumping up, up and down in the standings because everything was so tight. But yeah, that, that was something that like every year I would do. And I felt like I would do it because after a while, everybody associated me as the person within our circle that would do these things. So you felt the obligation to continue to do these things, but by no means was it something that like, I think I looked forward to. That sounds like so much work. I mean, the, the part, is. the part that I, I mean, I don't, you, I'm guessing you just probably just took off for a few days. I mean, to do all that math and keep, keep <laughs> erasing the whiteboard. That would I, sound like something I would do to take <laughs> off because I have to add. <laughs> I do have the memory of, I'm guessing you didn't do this for everyone, but like you didn't like hand me a bracket. Like you, you read me the entire bracket over the phone and like filled out my bracket for me. I do remember that. <laughs> Maybe I did pay it. Maybe I did pay for you. <laughs> you know what? Just pay, pay for it for what me. If this was all, what if this was all part of a grand scheme 15 years later? Because I knew we were going to launch a podcast venture <laughs> together. I was just trying to grease the skids early on. Like, like if you add interest to whatever <laughs> the entry was. Right. I'm going to ask you. Now you can you to, retire. <laughs> I'm going to say, let's do a podcast in 15 years. But I'm going to lay the foundation for it now by doing her bracket for her. That would have been a pretty cool It's a really long con. 